Hello and welcome to Bear Books podcast from a beautiful snowy Nottingham and Derby border. I'm Daisy Ray. And I'm April Berry. The weather's beautiful this morning. It's so Christmassy. I know, but obviously by the time some people listen to the podcast, it might not be, but it is gorgeous. It is absolutely fabulous. Puts me in such a good mood too. I want to go and build a snowman. I was looking on um, on Facebook earlier on and um, I've got a few friends who've actually managed to build snowmen this morning. Oh my goodness, they were up bright and early, weren't they? Yeah, but it is beautiful. It's got me right in the Christmas mood. <laughs> anyway, back to the business at hand. This episode is dedicated to flash fiction. We love our story time here on Bear Books. We've had some cracking stories in again for this one. We have, haven't we? We are really blessed this season. Yeah, we are. Loving it. So we are bringing you three stories today. Uh, One from myself called Dysmorphia. One from Carolyn Ward-Daniels called For Better or Curse. And one from April called Fireflies. It's funny we know where you get the inspiration from these stories from. Because I actually didn't get my inspiration from a mirror what did you get it from? A little model that I'm making that's got fireflies in it. You just incorporated it, did you? Yeah, I just thought it was, yeah, it just kind of fit in. It's weird where you get the uh, the ideas and everything. Have you finished building it? No, not yet. Need to see it when it's done. Hmm. It's going to go on the bookcase when it's done. Is it? Yeah. Fantastic. So... If everybody is all relaxed and feeling fabulous and has their nice cup of hot chocolate, cup of tea, cup of coffee, whatever your tipple is. Hot toddy. Hot to- Ooh, hot toddy. It's that time of year. Yeah. We shall start telling you stories. This is called Dysmorphia. Roll up, roll up. Let's have a chat about my lifelong good friend Gladstone. The man was the king of cuddles and lived in a not-so-happening part of town. This guy was truly awesome but was living in a perpetual fog of self-doubt thanks to his messed-up view of himself. Picture this. Every time he glanced in the mirror, it was like a horror show for him. He saw himself as this chunky, clumsy and downright unattractive man. This warped self-image messed with every bit of his life. Social scenes? Nope, not for Gladstone. The guy would dodge parties and gatherings faster than my dog Ruby chasing her favourite fluffy toys, all because he thought strangers would roast him for being the Hulk's long-lost cousin. Even going out for pizza with pals became an Olympic-level stress fest, as he imagined everyone scrutinising him like a food critic on steroids. Now, here's the kicker. Dancing was his jam but he had banned himself from busting moves. Why? Because in his mind, stomping around the dance floor with his supposed Jabba the Hutt physique was a big no-no. Enter Angela, his bestie and the apple of his eye. But here's another dose of self-imposed misinformation. Gladstone couldn't wrap his head around the idea that she might actually find him kind of cute too. His self-image drama was turning him into a hermit, waving goodbye to invitations and locking himself away from the world. Luckily, two superheroes in the form of Tony and Angela came to the rescue. 
they hatched a master plan to yank Gladstone out of his self-imposed exile. Tony pulled off a most convincing act, ringing Gladstone in near panic mode, blabbering about Angela going missing. No idea where she could be. What if she'd had an accident? The goal? Get Gladstone to join him in a rescue mission to Angela's house. Caught up in the worry for Angela, Gladstone tossed his concerns aside, grabbed his coat and ran out to play detective with Tony. Long story short, they found Angela chilling in bed battling a head cold. Crisis averted. They stayed at Angela's for a while and shared a cuppa all the while, cracking jokes and putting the world to rights, and suddenly the air got a little bit lighter. As they strolled back through town, chatting like gossip queens, Gladstone's eyes landed on a shop window. Lo and behold, two figures oozing happiness and good vibes. And guess what? Those two lively souls were none other than Tony and Gladstone themselves. Plot twist. It hit him suddenly like a ton of bricks. Not all mirrors are bloody shady. In that reflection, he didn't see the monster he thought he had become. Nope. Just two buddies grinning like Cheshire cats, sharing a legit connection. The fog lifted and Gladstone realised maybe, just maybe, he could have a normal life if he ditched the self-doubt and embraced these new good vibes. Talk about a life lesson served with a side of laughter. That was quite an amusing sort of feel-good story, actually. You're dealing with something that's quite um quite a serious subject but i felt sorry for gladstone and then i quite wanted to give him a hug he is an awesome dude and he is the king of the cuddles so Bless his him. job is done if you want to cuddle him too <laughs> <laughs> right we're on to carolyn ward daniels next and this one is called for better or curse This story is for the flash fiction prompt, The Unreliable Mirror. I've titled this, For Better or Curse. Jack strategically placed the large cereal box in the middle of the breakfast table to screen away his wife. He stared blankly at the nutrition list on the back of the box and hoped that munching the noisy frosted flakes would dilute Joan's mean vocals. Before he'd reached sugar content, her sausage-like fingers sided the box and slid it to one side. Joan's great eyes had a dot of derision laser-locked on Jack. Did you hear me? He shook his head and after swallowing said, I can't when I'm eating this. It's noisy, echoes in my head. That's because there's no brain in there. Jack filled his mouth quickly, and as her lips moved, he pointed to his own mouth, shaking his head, hoping she would shut up. He slid the box back as a barrier, so he slid it back. He saw the dull glint of wedding band, worn thin after 40 years of torment. It now dug into her flesh. He looked at his wife. Her mouth resembled a soft leather purse pinched together at the lips with a metal clasp. And it was as if all the smiles of years gone by had slid out of her face into a bag of skin that hung under her chin. This wobbled now as she shook her miserable head. Jack, stop a minute. No, 
I don't like them to go soggy, he said, delivering another noisy spoonful and took his time. They were staring, unblinking at each other now. It was like a duel. Joan poured another cup of tea and took another chocolate digestive. She could wait it out. Jack was now slowly crunching time. He hadn't won the duel, just prolonged the inevitable. What would she demand of him this fine Saturday? Yet another of his days off interrupted. Before he could rest his spoon, out came the orders. I want you to drive me to Mother's. Drive yourself. I need you to lift something. What? A set of drawers. What? Those heavy things in the lounge? No, the small set in the bedroom. She's having to have a commode and needs to make room. What? Those ugly dark wood drawers? I suppose you want me to take them to tip and all. No, we're having them. No, no, Joan. They're horrible. Where would we put them? In the spare bedroom. We don't use the spare bedroom. I do, when you start up with your snoring. You snore. You've even woke yourself up, you're that loud. Joan glared at him. We're going now, so go and shave your scruffy face. He wanted to refuse. He wanted to say, I don't want the bloody ugly drawers. I'm not having them. But he knew he would suffer a more depressing week than normal. That's what happened when he disagreed with her. Seven days of challenging atmosphere. Seven days of loud silences and a box of chocolates for it to end. Joan could snort a top layer of dairy box in less than 10 minutes. Then normal activity would resume and he would get back control of the TV remote. In the hall, as Jack tied on his shoes, Joan barreled her bingo wings into her camel coat sleeves. She then did what she always did, turned to face the framed glass at the bottom of the stairs. In it was a photograph taken some eight years ago, when Joan was literally half the woman she was now. It was a photograph posed for in a studio after a professional makeover, a birthday treat her mother had paid for. Hairstyled, makeup artist, and a pose flattered by some kind of filter that captured a film star portrait. When they wed, Joan hadn't needed any makeup. Jack described her as his English rose. What he didn't know was how many thorns she would grow. When Jack looked at that photograph, he remembered thinking how gorgeous his wife looked and felt a little remorse for sleeping with Paula from the nag's head while Joan was being transformed. He did regret it when Joan found out because that anger had lasted for 416 weeks and the expense of a lot of chocolate. Before Joan left the house, she would look at that photo and apply the same rose pink lipstick and a heavy dusting of blusher on her hamster cheeks. She would then flick her bleached, demi-waved hair. Jack tuttered and shook his editor. What's up with you? You know, Joan, that photo is the most unreliable mirror in this house. The look she gave him then launched the 417th week of disunity and discord. When Joan looked at the photo, 
It reminded her that she didn't eat one piece of chocolate for 30 years to keep her figure trim for Jack. And she adored chocolate. Even on her monthly cycle, when her desire was so great, she could have mugged a small child for a curly-whirly. Still, she resisted her beloved chocolate. That photograph reminded her of all that, that and then to find out Jack's infidelity. She would now make up for all those years empty of chocolate and she would not give him a divorce and half the house. Oh, no. She would be a thorn in his side. It would be a love-hate relationship. She loved chocolate and hated Jack. The end. I have got to say that Caroline does bring her characters to life. Yes. And she's she's really good at characterising people. They're, like, they're always somebody you can recognise in one way or another. Yeah, they are. They're kind of real people doing real things that she turns into some awesome stories. <laughs> you wouldn't want to be featured in one of her stories because her couples are never really that happy. No, they're not. I don't think I've ever come across one that is. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Carolyn. That is an amazing story. You're very welcome. Last but not least, we have got Fireflies, written by April and read by her Bloody good self. Come on, bring it on, April. Emily is the queen of daydreams and the champion of mirror gazing. Where she lived, she was your average Joan, or rather, your average Emily. Plain as a vanilla cupcake, but with a heart as sweet as the frosting. She had a bunch of friends, a so-so job, and a cosy little home. Life was ticking along, but there was one tiny glitch. Relationships were as fleeting as a harrowed sail. When she was alone, Emily's mind would sometimes take a detour into the dark and twisty. If her friends knew what was going on up there, they'd need a worry hotline. But fear not, because most of the time she just gave herself a stern talking to, with just a sprinkle of daydreaming on the side. Mostly, though, when she wasn't at work or sleeping, she spent time facing the bathroom mirror, wondering which beauty product to use next to make her more attractive to a potential partner. She was even considering taking Bob, her next-door neighbour, up on his offer of a date. She was sure she'd get used to liking the ferrets eventually. One day, Emily had an epiphany. I need to get a life. And so, armed with this newfound wisdom, she started saying yes to every invite that slid into her inbox. I mean, a Prince Charming wasn't going to Hermes himself right to her doorstep. Solid advice from her pals. She arranged a Saturday shopping spree with her partner in crime and best friend Louise. They hit the stores, devoured lunch with a side of liquid courage, chatting and laughing the whole time. After purchasing a whole new wardrobe, they strolled down the side streets like they owned the place. That's when Louise did something unexpected. She yanked Emily into a charity shop. Confused, Emily asked, what are we doing in here? Louise, the mastermind, said, Girl, I saw this mirror, and considering your mirror-gazing hobby, this is your destiny. Fast forward to a night of DIY struggles, spirit-level battles, hammer duels, and picture-hook wars. Emily finally hung that mirror on her wall, and guess what? It was no ordinary mirror. No, it was a secret portal to a magic land filled with fireflies doing a glow-up dance. Emily stepped into this enchanted world where fireflies became her mystical satnav. 
They led her through fairy tale forests and meadows that put Disney to shame. But these little sparklers had a cheeky side, taking her on paths that left her more lost than a sock in the laundry. On this magical night, they guided her to a spot where an ancient oak tree spilled the beans on forgotten tales. The firefighters created a light show, revealing truths and making Emily see herself in a new light. She realised that her plain Jane look was the secret ingredient in this enchanted realm. Emily woke up with a start on her couch, swearing off lunchtime-induced dreams. But hey, the magic was real, even if it did come with a side of DIY nightmares. And so, with a twinkle in her eye and a heart full of firefly wisdom, she embraced the beauty of the ordinary in her extraordinary mirror-fueled adventure. I think you've been smoking some wacky backy or something. It's just not like you to be all airy fairy and mysterious and fireflies in mirrors. I mean, what have you done? Who are you and where is April? It, it was telling it was that model that I was making, and it, it is a bit now it's it's not my normal sort of thing. But I just I just liked it and it, I was just sat making it and thinking about the stories and the podcast. I thought, oh, fireflies. Yeah, I'm tempted to take up lunchtime drinking if I get to go visiting Fireflies in Mirrors. <laughs> yeah, somehow I don't think that your boss would be really happy if you did that. Aren't you supposed to be concentrating on work when you're at work? God, if I must. <laughs> okay. So what have we got coming up next time then, Daisy? Next time we are back to our fabulous author interviews. And we have recently read a book called Dead Pretty, written by Robin Nix. And Robin is joining us on the next episode, and we are going to talk all things Dead Pretty. I can't wait. Looking forward to it. Me too. I'm not giving anything away about the book, uh, but it's worth a read. It's as much as I'm going to say. (laughs) Okay, so until next time then. Take care of each other. Bye. Thank you for joining us. Now you've had a listen, why not pop over and join us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to send in your flash fiction submissions, you just need to email us at beerbookspod1 at gmail.com. And now that you're part of the Beer Books family, why not share us with all the bookworms and creatives in your life? Join me, Daisy Ray, on the Talk Poetry To Me podcast, where we dive into the hearts and minds of poets and spoken word artists, unveiling emotions, sharing stories and embracing the power of words. Tune in to discover the voices that paint our world with truth. Talk Poetry To Me. You can listen wherever you download your podcasts. Mm